0: father-in-law wanted him dead. Uh, so we uh, we'll see, what we see unfolds is that David now is um, pursued into the wilderness. He has to live in the wilderness for around 10 years, what a terrible existence. And there um, he flees from King Saul time and time again. And in this particular chapter, we find that uh, King Saul gets some intelligence, intel, about where David is living in a place in an area of Israel called Zeph z-i-p-h and so what happens is king Saul takes 3,000 men to this area and David only has 600 by the way it's a bit of an overkill on Saul's part but it's 3,000 compared to 600 Um, so that night Saul is sleeping They, they break camp in other words they put the campsite up The king, of course, Saul, is living in the middle, sleeping in the middle of his soldiers. 3,000 men around him. That should be the safest place on all earth, wouldn't it be? Where you have 3,000 men guarding you. He's right in the middle of the camp. He's asleep. And this is what unfolds. So we'll read this story in 1 Samuel chapter 26. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, went to Saul's army. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. And Abner... And the soldiers were lying around him. Um, Abner said to David, "Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground, and with one thrust of the spear, I will strike him dead." Now Ab- Abner is a um, he is a um, a soldier. He's been a soldier for decades. Probably he's well trained. So he says to his, he says to David, "David, all it'll take is I'll grab Saul's spear, just one thrust. I know where to put that th- spear to make sure he's dead. One thrust, and it'll be, and it'll, he'll be, he'll be finished. It's a bit better than going, you know, being a soldier and going, you know, going. Mm, 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 mm. That'd be a bit messy, wouldn't it? But you know, just one thrust, and um, the truth is, this man's going to be fo- finished. So let's continue the story. Uh, verse 9. You know, as Adonis says, I won't stroke him twice, verse 9. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Wow. Big call, David. Especially when this man wants you dead. <laughs> and as surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head, and let's go. Let's get out of here. So David took the spear in the water jug near Saul's head, and they left. And no one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all asleep, because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. I'd love the Lord to put me into a deep sleep sometimes. <laughs> you, ever, you ever lay there at night time, and you're like, I just need to get to sleep? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, here's the prayer. Just quote 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 12. And the Lord put him into a deep sleep. Um, Verse 13, then David crossed over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill some distance away and there was a wide space between them and he called out to the army and he said to Abner, the son of Ner, "Um, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? David said, didn't even answer him, didn't even tell him who he was. You're a man, aren't you? (laughs) That's a bit of a challenge. Um, And who was like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your lord, the king. Okay, let's now go to verse 21, just to keep on with the the, the story. And this conversation now happens between Saul and David at a distance. Okay, and then Saul said, I have sinned. (laughs) Saul realizes that David could have killed him, but didn't. So he says, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear," David answered. "Let one of your young men come over and get it." Interesting enough, David didn't take it over there. You know, it's interesting. David, while he I I think David had a good attitude towards Saul, he didn't trust him. (laughs) You know, yeah, yeah, I'm not coming over there with your sword. You come over and get it. Someone get it. The Lord rewards. Verse 23. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on you, the Lord's anointed. And as surely as I value your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all, all, from all trouble. Interesting what David says. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't pick on Saul there. He just says, may the Lord deliver me from all trouble. Hint, hint. You're the number one problem. But anyway, he didn't say that. Verse 25, and then and we'll finish with this. And Saul said to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. So here we have this wonderful, interesting story uh, between and the conversation that transpired and the relationship that transpired between two men, um, father in law and son in law, uh, one the king, present king, one to become the king. And as I said, David had been anointed many, many years earlier. Uh, Saul is envious, wants David dead. Uh, David's driven into the wilderness, becomes a fugitive, lives in the desert constantly. Saul uh, receives some intel about him and goes to go you know, and uh, takes his men, three thousand men, to go and kill him, capture him, and kill him. So Saul sets up camp, as we see. He falls asleep. David goes in. He doesn't. And um, and David, and one of his men, sneak into that camp, Abner. And uh, David's companion, Abner, then says, as we read, you know, this is your opportunity. This is this opportunity to revenge your enemy. Right here, now, God's given it to you, you know, um, and you know. So let me let me take the spear. I won't miss. I'll kill him with one thrust. And I could imagine. Let's just let's just imagine for a moment what David could have been reasoning in his mind. He could have been reasoning this. He could have been saying, you know what, Adonijah's right. Um, you know, the truth is, this is the second time because two chapters earlier, in chapter twenty-four, uh, David was in a cave. Saul was in there. David could have taken Saul's life. He didn't. And now, David could have said, well, God's given me another opportunity. I could just take him out. God, this is God's doing. I'm going to take him out. David, that wasn't, David said, no, I won't do it. David could have reasoned, you know what? Abnishay will kill him. Oh, I can I can rightly say I never touched Saul. I never killed God's anointed, but Abnishay could do it. He said, no, I won't do that either. Or he could have reasoned this. David could have reasoned, um, you know, that was the spear that Saul threw at me on two occasions when I was in the palace, trying to kill me and pin me to the wall. I could take this. This is surely God's, God's wonderful opportunity here. I'll take the same spear and I'll do it to him. God's given me this opportunity. But David said, no, I won't do it. That's a big call. I, I love David. David uh, had to say no to Abdeshe. Don't do it. Do you know what? God... Um, Sorry, not God, but life. <laughs> life gives us people at times, just like Saul, and, and, and who do some incredibly wrong things sometimes, and we have all the reasons in the world that we want to retaliate, we want to fight back, or we want to, or we just generally say they don't deserve good treatment, and for return of what they've done to me. Life throws those type of people at us. I don't know. Maybe today you, could, you might be thinking of someone right now, but don't think too long. Just concentrate on here. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't want you to get <laughs> too carried away with that thought. But the reality is, life, there's times when you get treated wrongly and, you know, life throws these type of situations. There's the souls in life that come along, don't they? And they come along and, and you just think, they, don't do, they do not deserve good treatment from me. It was like David with Saul. I, um, in April of this year, I was um, I was going into the Gladstone Hospital and I was visiting my mum who wasn't well at all. And um, as I walked down the corridor to go in, into her room, I noticed the room beside her. Um, there was a man that I knew from my early days at the power station as an apprentice. And he was there in the bed. And um, as I went to see mum, I had this nagging thought... I <laughs> probably prompted of god oh, definitely prompted of god I'd say now in hindsight prompted of god you got to go and visit this guy you got to go and say hello to him you haven't seen him for a while but go and talk to him and you know what I had every reason not to talk to my friend chris can i just just for a moment tell you why i did i had every reason not to in my mind i had every reason not to because when i worked at the power station with chris he uh, he made a point of making fun of me because i was a christian And he'd often call me a televangelist name that was popular at the time, Jimmy Swaggart. And so he'd yell out across the workshop, "Hey, Jimmy, how you going, Swaggart?" You know, and and, and there'd be some element of little embarrassment for me. And and you know, you say, "Well, you shouldn't be embarrassed about being called a Christian." No, No, you know, I was young; I was a teenager, late teens. And and not only look, that probably wouldn't have been too bad. But Chris used to make a point. He'd come up to me and stand face to face with me. And he'd tell me mo- the most extremely filthy joke that he could think of. And, and as I stood there, um, I remember this day I stood there, unresponsive, unemotional, and I just walked away. I think I, I did what the Bible calls heaping coals on someone's head. Because he seemed to come stronger and harder at me after I'd done that. I didn't, re- I didn't retaliate, I didn't respond. But I thought, what is this guy up to? Why is he so down on Christians? Uh, and then if <laughs> that wasn't enough he he because he uh, he was a union delegate or a union boss he, he used to chase me around the power station demanding that i pay union fees but as an apprentice no apprentice was any any in union we weren't allowed to be in unions i've got nothing against unions but there was no need for me to th- we weren't allowed to be in a union yet he was demanding and why he picked on me i don't know and it got to the point i'd be walking and if he didn't see me i'd change and hide or do something in the power station just to keep away from Chris because he was going to demand that I pay the union fees. And, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. I think the biggest pay packet I got in those days was 90 bucks a week. That was a lot of money. Um, uh, How would you be living on 90 bucks a week? Well, it was possible in those days. Um, So anyway, so I, I, uh, you know, uh, so now... Let's bring the story right forward to April this year. And I'm standing outside his room having all the reasons not to go and talk to him. I'm thinking, God, this is the guy that gave me so much heartache. And I felt prompted you go in. So I overcome my fears and I walked into his room and I stood at the end of his bed. And I said, G'day, Chris, remember me? And he says, I do. Are you still that crazy Christian? I said, yep. And I found out that we entered into this conversation. I found out why he was so against Christians because his wife was a Christian and went to church every Sunday and always asked him to go. And he just always felt convicted. Well, that's, he didn't say conviction, but that's what I felt. And, and whenever he found one, he thought he'd just have a go because he was up. He had a wife who was like that one. And so we we ended into a discussion. Isn't it amazing? And you know what? Because he's in the bed and I'm standing up now. I've kind of got the uh, upper hand here. So I didn't take advantage of him. I just didn't bring up anything of the past. I did a David on Saul. I just didn't bring it up. And I just talked about life and witnessed to him and shared with him and encouraged him. And he said, you'll never get me to church. I said, well, we'll see. (laughs) See what God wants to do in your life. Thankfully, his sickness was not terminal. But... um, you know, one day, one day when he's in need, maybe he'll give us a ring. Maybe he'll give us a call. It's amazing. And, and, and it was when I overcome every reason in my head not to go and talk to the guy and overcome every reason to say I shouldn't treat him nicely at all, that something it started to happen in his life. So we'll see what happens, hey? So the reason that David says to Saul for not wanting to kill him is recorded in this scripture in verse cha- verse 9 of, of chapter 26 and this is what it says this is what David says he says to Abishai don't destroy him who can lay a hand on the lord's anointed and be what guiltless in other words it wasn't david's it wasn't that david thought Saul was right okay david of all people knew that Saul was in- grossly involved in things that were totally excuse me, wrong and sinful. But David knew that even a sinning Saul was still the anointed king over Israel. And see, so the anointed, and in Israel's day, if you're anointed, there was three types of people who are anointed, prophets, priests, and kings. And they're anointed to serve the people and look after the people of Israel. And so they were given special honor because that was their job. So you've got to understand, so this is what was David was saying, even though Saul deserves to die for what he's done, but as the Lord's anointed, he deserves a sacred honor, and I'll not lay a hand on him. And so, David, uh, that was very noble of David. Um, and how David uh, and David forgave him, and I, I mean, how he done that. I mean, you've got to appreciate, this just wasn't a petty argument between two guys. This was a man who wanted him dead. He wanted, he, he wanted him out of his life. Saul hated, hated David with a vengeance. Because I think secretly, David was everything that Saul wasn't in some ways. And jealousy rose up. But as I said, you and I today, we're all surrounded by Saul's, by people who within themselves don't deserve good treatment. But the truth is, in our reasoning, they don't deserve good treatment. But the truth is, God still loves those people. God still loves the Chris's of this life. Who treat you really bad, and, and and as we help help to understand this, I mean, you think about some of the people in the Bible that that look, think of Peter who denied Jesus three times at his most crucial moment in his life. Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross, and yet God must have certainly still loved him because he restored him and brought him back as one of the one of the amazing disciples of Jesus. So God God still loves. People, and God still loves the people that you find hard to love. So, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily agree with what they've done, but he still wants to reach out to them. And we're all like David with, with souls in our lives. And, we're, and, and, and God asks us to treat them like he treats, he treats them. How does God treat them? He treats them with an uh, infinite preciousness. And he treats them with respect because they're God's creation, just like you and I are, we are God's creation. And I and I read this passage, and I, and I and I started to realize afresh how God wants me to treat the crises in my life or the things that have happened. And the truth is that um, you know sometimes it's not just it's not just the crisis who offended me, but it might be because someone's offended someone I love, and so I can get offended on their behalf. And we've got to be careful of that, and and you know and how we treat those people. See, I, I, I want to help you to, to, to get through this and do it. And let, let me just say this: See, the verse is saying, we look at someone, we think this person does not deserve great treatment. But if we ask that question, why do they deserve great? They don't deserve great treatment. There's another question we need to ask, and the question is, what does the Lord deserve? What does the Lord? Now you may ask, what do you mean? What does the Lord deserve? Well, what I'm saying is, well, I mean, give that person the treatment that God deserves, or God, the Maker of that person, would want you to give someone who He still loves. Okay, what would He want you to give them that who the crea- he, he created that person who He still loves? What would He want you to give them, or how would He like you to treat them? Because th- this could be such a foreign concept to us. It, that seems really ridiculous because we live in a culture today that continually bombards us with a culture of slander, a culture of mouthing each other, of generally hating each other, of pulling each other, pulling the people down. I mean, we live in a world of that. Right now, this world is is... is Crumbling because of the attitudes that people have against each other—one nation against another, one race against another race—you can see how destructive it can be. So we've got to be careful because that's exactly, you know, that's, a, uh, you know, Abishai. He just said, "It'll t- just take one thrust of the sword, one thrust of the spear," I should say, one thrust, David. That's all it'll take. And sometimes sin is so easy. It's just on our lips. It'll only take one gossip moment, one complaint, one attitude, one argument. Just one moment, one punch. Just, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? What's the hard thing to do is to stop yourself and say, No, I won't do that. I won't treat them like they've treated me. I won't. That's why David's response here is incredibly powerful. To a man who wanted him dead... He said, no, I won't. I won't. See, that's what this passage challenges us on how to treat our enemies. And if we were to look at how we treat our enemies, the truth is, it's a commitment. Often forgiveness is a commitment. It's often, it's often carried out before it's felt. It's an action before it's a felt thing. And, and, and I find there needs to be a commitment because I know how it works. Because I'm there as well with you. See, com- it's a commitment to not bring up the wrong again to the person in order to punish them. I'm just going to remind them all the time about what they've done to me. Husbands and wives, we don't need to do that. It doesn't help the marriage. <laughs> uh, Michelle's got plenty of things she could remind me about. But I'm thankful that she doesn't. See, it's it's a commitment not only to not bring it up with that person, but it's a commitment to not bring up the wrong to other people, so they hoping they will punish them. You ever done that? Oh, look, look, I don't want to really say anything, but I don't I don't really want to say anything. I, look, I'm not going to gossip, but just just, just want No, I'm not gossiping. So we don't. I'm exaggerating, but sometimes we stop, you know, because it doesn't. We've got to be careful because we want them to maybe do something. See, it's not only a commitment to not bring up the wrong to that person or to another person, but it's a commitment not to bring up the wrong to myself, hoping someone will punish them. I Just and you go through. Just someone will get him. Someone else. I'll get get Abishai. Oh, I know someone like Abishai. Just one thrust of the sword. Oh, I know my mate. He'll deal with it. Oh yeah. I just you know. I hope they'll see the problem. No, no. We've got to stop the reasoning. Got to stop the. Co- it's a commitment to not go there, isn't it? Now, I, 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 my goodness. I say this because I'm living it. I live it. David does not want these things to happen. And David says in verse ten. You know, I love what David's response is. Here's some of the answers here, and how we deal with it, and not giving people the treatment they deserve, but giving treating them well. David says in verse 10, there are three different outcomes for Saul's life. He says this: the Lord Himself will strike him. In other words, in other words, God will deal with him directly. God deal with him directly, or he says, time will come and he will die. In other words, natural causes he'll die, or he'll be he'll die in battle and perish. Fair enough, that's pretty self explanatory. But here's really what David is saying. <coughs> here's what David's really saying out of those things Only the Lord knows what he deserves, and only he has the right to give it to him because he is the only one with the wisdom and insight into this person's life which we don't have. Yeah. I don't have the wisdom and insight into this. And, and just, you know, you know it, it's amazing when I spoke to Chris it all just this last april how it all came to understand that his real problem wasn't me it was (laughs) with his precious wife that had badgered him about christianity and coming to the lord and 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 i was just you know someone to let off steam at because he probably didn't want to do that to his marriage and his (laughs) wife so maybe i was the scapegoat but you know what I guarantee when we, I see Chris again, whenever we see him again, it'll be, it won't be like the old days. It'll be good because I went to him in his need and just showed some compassion. Praise God. Didn't really think about it at the time too much, but now I see what was happening. Because God loves this man enough to say, I want him in my kingdom, even though you might just get over yourself and get over the fences because he's more precious than your fence. Do you you know, can I I give you some real practice why we need to forgive other people? Because none of us live as we ought. None of us live as we should. You see, if we're alive today, it, it really is because of his forgiveness and mercy to me. And so, if, if we have received forgiveness and mercy and are alive because of it, then to withhold forgiveness and mercy from others is not is not doing what God has done. Sorry, it, it's not doing what God has done for us. He, to, to, I don't want to withhold forgiveness and mercy because God gave me forgiveness and mercy. So don't withhold it. What gives God gives me. I need to give away. It's because I don't live as I ought. Here's the other thing, by David doing this and forgiving Saul, he's making sure that he doesn't become Saul. He doesn't become that person who is just jealous and envious and hell-bent on destroying anybody who might seem like he's going to even want to step into his position. David never became like Saul. When David became king, if you remember this wonderful stories of David, there was a time when Absalom, David's son, tried to take the kingdom off David. David didn't retaliate. He actually moved out of the palace with a whole group of his entourage, away from the palace to get out of Jerusalem. And Absalom uh, took hold of the, cr- the throne just for a moment. And unfortunately, Absalom was killed in battle uh, through an <laughs> interesting way. But David didn't rejoice over his son's death. David mourned his son's death. He didn't react like Saul. Saul wanted David dead. David didn't want anyone else dead. He didn't have the Saul attitude. And so in forgiving Saul, he didn't take on the attributes of Saul. And so often when we sometimes are unwilling to forgive or unwilling, holding with mercy and grace or giving bad treatment, we actually can take on the very attributes of the person who's done something to us. There's a saying, isn't there? You've heard the saying. It's like, you know, your unforgiveness is like, putting poison in someone else's coffee but you drink it and um, that's true because um, the forgiveness sucks us into a vortex of hatred unforgiveness I should say hatred and anger and it destroys life it doesn't give us life And, and I find that it's not hard to sometimes say nothing can just let it boil up inside and yet other people sometimes at the other they don't find it very hard to really let someone have it uh, what is hard is to do what David said and did. That's hard. And so where do we get the power to do that? Where do we get the power to actually have forgiveness? How, how, you know? And ultimately, the answer is God would want to infuse that in our hearts because it's very difficult as human beings to live in this world and not get upset with someone. We get upset with someone, that's cool, but it's not holding that gr- grudge or or that... that that wanting to treat them badly attitude and for releasing it and forgiving people. It's learning t- the truth. The answer that I've come up with is it's learning to love God's anointed. And I don't mean just Saul, the anointed king, n- because I believe this story in 1 Samuel chapter 26 points to another true anointed one, and it's Jesus Christ. This whole story points to Jesus because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which actually means anointed one, Messiah means anointed one, it, 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 just like David was slandered and attacked by Saul, so was Jesus Christ. Here's a verse: One Peter, chapter two, twenty-three. This is just before he died. It says, "When they hurled, hurled, well, Peter, proclaims it. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate." when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to him who judges what justly in other words jesus christ was struck and slandered and yet he didn't strike back he was he didn't make any threats instead he trusted himself to his heavenly father i want to tell you there's power as we surrender and trust our heavenly father to take what we you know to take the the treatment that we've received when we can say father i'm just i'm just giving it into your hands i thank you i'm thankful that god works on our behalfs, but we don't need to know the results you don't need to be secretly god what did you do to him he judges justly folks. He can judge justly. I can't because I don't know all the situations. And then that's not my place anyway. That's not my purpose in life. Have, my heavenly father's the one who judges justly. And you know, the wonderful thing, as I preached some weeks ago, is when that nasty person who hurts you becomes, becomes and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, God sees them through the righteousness of Christ and sees them just like he sees you, good and perfect and loved. How could God love my enemies? Well, he can you've just got to learn to love them (laughs) see when you think about it david's that day when david went with um with his abishai you know they went down into the camp and they walked through the all those soldiers and got to king saul in the middle david was risking his life to prove his innocence and forgiveness and respect to, to saul he risked his life because if anybody woke up i mean he's as, as we say earlier, to get back out of that campsite from the middle probably means you have to go through, how many, 750 men? I mean, imagine tiptoeing through the campsite, 750. One of them's got to wake up. Not one of them woke up. But David risked his life. Now, I know you know that Scripture says God put him into a sleep. But, you know, reality is David probably didn't know that at the time. And so he walks back through. He, he risked his life to prove his respect and honesty to Saul. He didn't agree with Saul. He just wanted Saul to know that he, d- he still treated him with respect. So David risked his life. But here's the point, the thing that points to Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ lost his life in order to forgive us. He lost his life. And on the cross, he actually said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so when we, and when we withdraw the debt uh, that they owe us, by forgiving them it costs us i'll say that again see it costs us to forgive people it costs us you know if someone crashes your car you've got a choice you either make them pay or you pay usually you've got insurance so it's just an insurance premium that might pop up a little bit go up a bit but you know if you pay it you know what you're doing it costs you doesn't it someone breaks something and you got to pay for it it costs you but I think you've got a choice. You can make them pay for it, or you can you pay it yourself. Maybe forgive them and pay it yourself. And so it costs you. You know, when you're slandered, when someone says something nasty, you know, it, it's painful. But you've got to withdraw the, the debt from them. They owe you. You know, they owe, they owe me. Their attitude against me, they owe me big time for the way they've treated me. No, no, no. Withdraw that attitude. And it costs you you know how it costs you it costs you to stop slandering them it costs you to shut up it costs you to be quiet because it's really easy to come out and say what you think about them but it's really hard to say no i'm not going to say a thing i'm going to trust my heavenly father who judges justly see this is what david's this is what it cost him to forgive us will cost us releasing the pain of slander and unfair treatment and unjust treatment got to release it withdraw the payment from them they don't owe you anything know, and, and, and in your mind, you've got to get grapple with that. See, David withdrew the debt he was owed by Saul. On the cross, Jesus Christ just didn't withdraw the debt. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. And, I, and if we can grasp the truth this morning, that as he hung on the cross to pay your debt for sin, will that not compel you to love him and then from that to love others as well? I pray that it would. I pray that it would. Can I finish with this? Two things. Two things we need to have the ability to forgive. Two things. The first is really simple. You've heard the word before, humility. Here we go, humility. To be able to forgive. See, you can't forgive a person if you feel superior to them. You can't forgive. If, if, if we look at a person and say, I would never, I would never do what they've done to me. I would never do that. I certainly wouldn't do what they've done to me. Do you know I've discovered in my life, I don't know about you, there's the seeds of being able to do nasty things to others if I dwell on it and think about it and allow it to take over me. There's the seeds of that, that treatment that I can, have, I can treat others badly. It's the seed of it, I'm no better than other people. That was the problem with the Pharisees, folks. They, always, they could always pinpoint the sin of other people, but that wasn't so much the problem. The problem was they thought they were never capable of doing that, and yet they did it themselves. And they always thought we're better than others. That's a terrible way. See, humility allows us not to, not to feel superior to other people, realizing we're capable. The second thing is this. It gives you the right affirmation you need. Just hang in there a moment. Let me explain this. When people wrong you, you can feel like they've taken something from you. Okay, that they can take your reputation, or they can take your confidence because they've said something or they've done something to you that's terrible. And oh, that's that really saps that. Oh, because you're concerned what they talk about you and say about you, or if or or, or material. As I said, material needs. You know, somebody smash or something, break something of yours, they lend it and they give it back, smash. I remember the day a person actually borrowed my water blaster, my gurney, and they brought it back, it was broken, And never told me. Maybe they didn't know it was broken, I don't know. And I had to buy eventually buy a new one, and it cost me, it cost me. Now, here's the point, if, if our affirmation, if our affections are all based around what we own or what we have, or what people think of us. And if they say something nasty, it hurts us. And, and that's understandable. Folks, you'll always have to struggle to forgive people. But if your affirmation, personal affirmation, is based around what God sees you as. Like love and salvation and peace and joy. If your affirmation is based around those type of things. and that Then what people, uh, the other things, like your material possessions and what people say about you it doesn't really matter that much it's not important to you what's important to you is your love and your peace and your joy and your salvation in Jesus Christ and if you're based your life on that then you will you find it much easier to forgive people because they have it they can't really touch the things that are important to you like love and joy and peace and salvation no one can take those things away from you People can certainly take material possession. People can certainly try and take your your confidence and your self-worth. But if your worth is in Christ... See, we need to reassign what you have affection for. You've got to reassign what you have affection for. If If your true wealth is found in what Christ thinks about you, peace and joy and salvation and love... Folks, those type of things you'll always no one they are the things that are really important to you. And the other stuff, well people can do what they want, I suppose. So it's easier and easier to forgive people when we have the right affections and the right affirmation. And so I've discovered we need both emotional humility and emotional wealth. And if we have that, we'll have much easier time and just be able to treat people Really different to the way they may treat us with respect, like David did with Saul, and love people so much easier. To so that person who cuts you off in traffic and gives you the whatever and swears and carries on, you know, and because your identity is not based in what they think of you, but your identity, or you know, your identity is based in something else. Wow, you might kind of oh, that wasn't that wasn't called for, that wasn't needed, but it doesn't. It doesn't set you on a spiral downwards. Think, like, oh, I'm terrible. No, your confidence is in something far greater. It's a strong foundation. What do you have your affirmation for? What are you? What are your affections for? Can I just pray for you this morning? We're about to sing a song to finish, but I want to just pray where you're seated this morning, and I'm just going to ask for. God, to give you strength because, you know, this is a reality in all our lives. We have the souls in our life. We have the souls, maybe, in our own family sometimes. And we have difficulties. I see families that are dysfunctional and split up and broken. And I just think, oh, God, bring a restoring hand. And God can do that upon our lives. And those relationships are important. But it takes us being able to surrender the treatment that's been dished out to us, to surrender that to God. Let me pray. Father we bow our heads. Father, I thank you today for your presence in this place. As the song says, it's only you we need, Lord. And that you want to turn the graves into gardens, Lord. The the, the tombstones into stepping stones. You want to do something so incredible in our lives, even right now in this place. And Holy Spirit, you go to work. You can do what I no one else can do. But help us, Lord, to surrender and open our hearts to you. And not close our hearts, Lord, and live in our world of hurt and pain over what people have done, but allow you, God, to so inject your presence in our lives that we have a love even for the people who treat us badly. Father, when we do that, the world becomes a better place, not just for those around us, but for ourselves. So help us, Father, whether we're... a um, you know, work somewhere with struggles there or in a marriage that struggles or in a relationship that struggles or in a, whatever situation it may be, in a school that have struggles or people who bully, whatever. God, we pray for your Holy Ghost ejection into our hearts as we come and worship you today so that we can surrender the unforgiveness and allow your spirit to be poured in. Father, we ask that today. Can we stand and worship just for a moment as we close the service today? Let's do that right now. We've got a beautiful song, and we need to declare it. Come on.